Uh, it's my joy and pleasure to welcome back a dear friend and a former colleague here at Piedmont Community Church, Nick Baz, is here visiting us from Oregon. You want to stand up? Glad to see you here today, Nick. If anybody knows about what it's like to be a dad, it's Nick. <laughs> He's, how many kids do you have, Nick? Six kids and 12 grandchildren. Six kids and 12 grandchildren. So uh, thanks be to God for that. All right, so let us turn now to the scripture lesson this morning, which comes to us from 1 Thessalonians, the first chapter. It's right the start of the, of the letter. Listen now for God's word to you today. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. That's how Paul starts most of his letters. Grace to you and peace. We always give thanks to God for all of you and mention you in our prayers, constantly remembering before God, our God and Father, your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, beloved by God, that he has chosen you because our message of the gospel came to you not in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of persons we prove to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For in spite of persecution, you received the word with joy from the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For the word of the Lord was sounded forth from you not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place your faith in God has become known, so that we have no need to speak about it. For they report about us, they, re, they report about us what kind of welcome we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Holy God, we pray that you'll grant us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts and minds to understand your word and your world as best we can this day and in days ahead. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, on January 1st, 1863, Abraham Lincoln issued what's called the Final Emancipation Proclamation, which set free all enslaved people throughout what was then the Confederate States of America. Now, of course, the Civil War lasted another two years, and since news didn't travel all that fast back then in the 1860s, it took several more months after the South finally surrendered at Appomattox for news to reach rebel soldiers and folks and slaveholders in the state of Texas. But then on the morning of June 19, 1865, General Gordon Granger marched into Galveston, Texas with 1,800 Union troops to end the fighting and to enforce the emancipation of the 250,000 slaves still enslaved, not free, in the state of Texas. 
And on the state's steps of City Hall, he read out loud what has become the famous General Order Number 3, stating, The people of Texas are informed that in accordance with a proclamation from the Executive of the United States, all slaves are free. This involves an absolute equality of personal rights and rights of property between former masters and slaves. And as one historian describes it, when they heard those words coming from a representative of the national government, the, the newly freed people in that crowd in Galveston responded in a moment of indescribable joy. You can barely imagine what that was like. So a year later, some of those same people on June 19, 1866, they, they held a jubilee celebration to honor the fact that they were now free and, that, and that, um, that freedom was spreading throughout the South in the time of Reconstruction. And over time, that celebration spread to other African-American communities in Texas and then to the whole nation, where it was known by various names and celebrated on various days. But it's the whole celebration of emancipation basically now boils down to this one celebration which we know as Juneteenth from June 19th, 1865. It was declared, declared a state holiday in Texas in 1980, and in 2021 it became a federal holiday which we celebrate tomorrow. So you can think of it as America's second Independence Day, a time to recall the incredible joy of freedom finally coming to a whole group of people who had been denied it for generations. And, and to reflect on how it has taken several more generations and a whole lot of endurance and struggle to bring that promise of freedom fully to life. There's still work to be done, obviously, too. So it's a day for all of us to celebrate what we stand for as a nation, and to stand with those who continue the pursuit of liberty and equality and justice for all. Now, as I was thinking about Juneteenth recently, I was reminded, at least in some ways, I was reminded of the text I just read from 1 Thessalonians. Because it, it brought to mind that sense of overwhelming joy that people he heard when good news was proclaimed to them and how it changed everything. So this text is from the earliest letter we have of Paul's in the New Testament. He's writing to this tiny group of Christians in a place called, well, the city of Thessaloniki in Greece, which is still the second largest city in Greece. It's where my sister-in-law was born even. It's maybe a year since Paul's last visit to the Thessalonian church at people, that church that he had founded, and he's remembering how when he first met them, something extraordinary happened as he proclaimed the good news to them. The details are sketchy in this letter. We pick up a little bit of it from the book of Acts, but he says it took place in a time of persecution, or as it says in the Greek, a severe time of struggle. Even so, the people welcomed him warmly, 
And as he shared the gospel, the Holy Spirit came upon them with power. They were filled with profound joy and the freedom of new life in Jesus Christ. And it didn't stop there, because as you go on in the letter, you hear about all the other ways that the Thessalonian Christians were living out their faith in, in hope and love. As he says later in the letter, Paul says, You are children of light and children of the day, having put on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. One of Paul's most memorable phrases. All over Greece, he says, from Macedonia to Achaia, or as we might say today, from north and south, east and west, everybody could see the Thessalonians as role models for how to follow Jesus. And it makes me wonder, some 2,000 years later, <laughs> how are we seen today as followers of Jesus. When people hear the word Christian, is love necessarily the first thing that comes to mind? Well, nationwide survey was done a couple years ago of non-Christians, and the most common words they used to describe Christians were self-righteous, arrogant, judgmental, and hypocritical. Doesn't mean we're all that way all the time, thank God, but clearly we Christians have some work to do when it comes to modeling our faith in acts of love. Right? I think so. So what can we learn from the Thessalonians who did it so well about how to be children of light? Well, according to Paul, part of it involves taking the whole idea of role modeling itself seriously, intentionally. I mean, as you heard, the Thessalonians were known far and wide for modeling, for being examples of what it meant to follow Jesus. They learned themselves by imitating their role models, people who were more mature in their Christian walk, people like Paul and Timothy and Silas. And then the Thessalonians became role models themselves, people worthy of imitation. So in Greek, the word for imitation, you might know it, is mimesis. Not imitation in the sense of being phony or anything like that, but just given the, the just obvious reality that from earliest childhood on, we all learn how to be human by imitating other humans every single day. We're exposed to the actions of others, whether it's our family, our friends, our neighbors, our colleagues, people in the public eye. We're always, always imitating other people, whether we're aware of it or not. The psychologist Albert Bandura writes that most human behavior is learned observationally through modeling from observing others, one forms an idea of how new behaviors are performed. And on later occasions, this coded information serves as a guide for action. Now, it doesn't mean we're just blindly copying other people in everything we do. We sure have plenty of freedom. 
But most of what we learn as human beings comes from imitating our role models. And whether we like it or not, we are all role models to some degree. For good, for bad, and for everything in between. Philosopher Aristotle contrasted mimesis, or learning by imitation, with diegesis, or learning by listening to what people say. And he held that mimetic learning is far more powerful. For as we all know, what? Actions speak louder than words. They teach us a heck of a lot more, too. That's why Paul says that having and being good role models is essential in Christian formation. So, the challenge for any church, including ours, is if we ever want to grow up and grow, we need to be intentional about how we model or show or live out our faith. I mean, the truth is that if we ever want to pass on the best of our own faith, our own traditions to the next generation, which is a big thing that we want to do in our church, if we ever want to do that, we adults have to keep on learning what it is to follow Jesus. I mean, who do we expect our kids to imitate if it isn't us? Of course, learning about faith happens in a whole lot of ways, like listening to me preach. <laughs> You're listening, I hope. But learning how to do faith or live it comes down to imitating people who are already doing it well. And that brings up the question, what does it take to be a good role model as a Christian? I think there's lots of different things that happen, but for me, it boils down to this. First, a good role model listens. They listen. They make an effort to hear where you're coming from, and they don't just interject or impose their own ideas before you can express your own. Second, they aren't afraid to think out loud. Not all the time. <laughs> Don't want people thinking out loud all the time. But when they have a tough decision to make, they're not afraid to let you know about it and maybe to ask you, help, uh, ask you to help them through it. Third, good role models admit they aren't perfect. They're perfectly willing to let you know when they, that they don't have all the answers and they admit when they're wrong and they apologize when necessary. Fourth, they follow through. They follow through on the things that they value. They're reliable. You know, on, on this Father's Day, I can't help but think about my own dad, who passed away about uh, 18 years ago. He was a pioneer, my dad, in the field of nuclear medicine. He was a doctor although his great passion in life was being a jazz musician as well. But anyway, his whole life long, as we found out right before he died, his whole life long, he suffered from severe dyslexia. Somehow, though, he made it through medical school and made it to become a world-renowned doctor. And he kept working at it, and he was reliable, and he did what he said he was going to do. And, that was one of the great role models I've ever had in my life. 
about sticking with what you say you're going to do, following through on what you say you believe. Fifth, good role models act with self-giving love and compassion. They may be driven, successful, smart, but their true character shines through in how they treat people who are different, who are vulnerable, and who are going through hard times. They care. They act. And it shows, like in my dad. Finally, role models for following Jesus just don't rely on their own abilities or their own efforts or their own best intentions alone. They seek out guidance and nurture and grace continuously, whether in community with other people or in prayer with God. People like that are my role models for what it means to follow Jesus. So who are yours? Who are your role models? You know, as I said, the truth is that none of us gets to choose whether or not to be a role model because other very impressionable human beings are watching what we do a whole lot of the time. And more often than we know, they are imitating us. The great African-American poet James Baldwin wrote that children have never been very good at listening to their elders. But... They have never failed to imitate them. So as you think about who your role models are, consider what you're doing too. How are you modeling your faith? What you value? What's important in life? Think about that. What is worth imitating about you? And maybe what isn't? You know, I'm not trying to puff you up or pull you down here. I'm just inviting you to be real and to be ready because the same spirit who blew through a crowd of freed folks in Galveston, Texas, and through a little tiny struggling group of Christians in Thessalonica in Greece a long time ago, that same spirit of joy and freedom and new life is with us right now too, wherever, ever we go. In fact, just the other day, I was talking to a couple of our church members, and they're here today. I wasn't sure they were going to make it, but David and Lois Reed are here today. You want to wave your hand, David and Lois? Some of you may, uh, may know Lois best as the uh, uh, African-American woman who says what in church? <laughs> Amen. By the way, I want to hear everybody say it just one time. Amen. I have been waiting for Piedmont Church to do that for 20 years. All right. Though as she always points out, amen simply means so be it in Greek. But anyway... Well, the Reeds have been uh, spending a lot of time shuttling between doctor appointments in their house recently, but I, I get over to visit them when I can, and every time I get there, I, I get to hear their stories, and Lois especially likes to tell me uh, about her experiences in life and what a life she's led, and still does. She was born in the Deep South, but like a lot of other African-American folks, her family moved north, 
the back of a, of a train to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania when she was a little girl. And she says that growing up poor and black in Pittsburgh was hard, but they found a, a Lutheran church to get involved in there and felt part of the community and felt God's spirit. And eventually Lois got married for the first time. She started her family. The early 60s, she boarded a Trailways bus with the kids and moved out to San Francisco. She went to college, got her degree in nursing at UC San Francisco, and she became an LVN, a licensed nurse, a vocational nurse specializing in respiratory medicine. Same time, though, Lois, as a mom, had to watch as her own kids were also going through the segregation that existed in the San Francisco school system. So she became an activist. And as she said a few years ago in an interview that our own Michael Barber did for our church newsletter, Lois said, my children were in those schools. I encountered such awful feelings from teachers, I became very vocal about it. I was angry, so I began speaking out, trying to fight it. So she went to school board meetings and got into what John Lewis called good trouble, fighting for justice and equality. And she was noticed, too, in good ways and in bad ways. In fact, her life was threatened so many times that she needed a couple of big, burly guys to escort her to and from school board meetings in San Francisco. Later on, she was recognized for her efforts when UCSF awarded her the Chancellor's Award for Community Service, the only non-doctor to be honored that way. As a nurse, she worked hard to raise the standard of care for patients suffering from AIDS back in the 80s. She says, I would talk to them when nobody else would and I would hold their hands. That was God sending me to strange places where I was needed most. And then God sent her to a really strange place, to Pacific Lutheran Theological Seminary in Berkeley, where she attended and got her master's degree in divinity, or MDiv. And then Lois became the first African-American woman to be ordained as a minister in the Lutheran Church in America. She worked first as a chaplain in women's prison, and then she pastored three churches here in the East Bay and preached in a whole lot more. And she met her husband, David, I think it's 24 years ago at a church coffee hour. And they've been pretty much inseparable since. If you know anything about them, in fact, if we, whether you're with them, you can't help but notice the deep love and incredibly deep respect and faith that they share as a couple. Really do. And as Lois told me just this morning, you all here at Piedmont Community Church have made her feel more welcome in a church than any other church she's ever been in her whole life. So thanks be to God for that. And to you all, too. So Lois sums up what it is to follow Jesus in these words. It's important that the church sends out the message that God loves us, and Jesus is sent to be there for us, and we can trust that, the Holy Spirit says this is gift, is what it's all about. It's not only for us, but for people in prison, people who are sick, 
those who are put down by society or just down and out, God is there for all of us. I could just hear her saying that. God is here for all of us. Preaches. And I must say, it's not just in words that Lois expresses her faith, it's in her actions. That's why she's become a role model for me. And for a whole lot of other people. She, she and David were telling me about some of them just the other day. Whether she knows it or not, people see the light of Jesus shining in her. And we want to imitate what we see in what we do. So, who are your role models when it comes to following Jesus? In life and in faith, what do you want to imitate? And how do you want to live so that others want to imitate you in faith, in hope, and in love? In this Father's Day, and this Juneteenth, let's recognize the men and the women who've made a difference in how they live their lives. And let's try to honor them by how we live our lives too. In Jesus' name, amen.